You're listening to the Omen of the Yard Podcast. Exhibit E. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello. Here we are for the uh, the Bowman of the Yard podcast, Exhibit E. Uh, I'm Richard James. And I'm your jolly good friend, Peter Crouch. And co-host, yeah, that's right. Well, Peter, how things have changed? Well, haven't they? I mean, a month ago, was it, or thereabouts, we were in the Silver Cross itself, and here we are. Isolating, self-distancing, as indeed seems most of the world. How are you getting through, Peter? What, are you, what have you been up to the last few weeks? Well, I've been wandering into the garden. I've been coming back out of the garden into the living room. I've been uh, a few visits to the kitchen. Just trying to keep sane, really. Just trying to keep safe and well like everybody else. How about you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, yeah, pretty much the same. Um, Sometimes I look out the window in the mornings and um, sometimes (laughs) I look out the window in the afternoon. Uh, You know, turns out I like to mix it up a bit. Good, good. Um, and how about you at home? How are you dealing with this? I wonder if you are big readers. I mean, uh, you're tuning into a podcast that's all about a series of books. So uh, have you gone back to your favourite books as a bit of comfort food? What about crime fiction? Is that a bit too bleak for you at the moment? Are you taking refuge in romantic comedy or the classics, perhaps? Anyway, do let us know how you're dealing with this very strange situation. You can drop us a line at podcast at bowmanoftheyard.co.uk and we'll read it out next month. Now, Peter, do you have today's menu in front of you on gold embossed vellum paper? Indeed I do. So what we have coming up is news and some very exciting news. We have a cornucopia of letters to the yard, and we have another author in the cells at Bow Street. This time it's Andy Robb, and he's got company. Yes, he has. And of course, everyone must stay tuned for the fifth part of the Smithfield murder. Yeah, that's right. That's my serialisation of the first short story from Bowman's casebook. I think it's part five. will be coming up at the very end of this podcast, so do stay tuned. How many parts will there be in total, Richard? I'm just sort of doing it as I go along. I suspect we're over halfway. We might get to ten parts, but mm. I suspect we're probably heading for maybe eight or nine, and then uh, perhaps I'll move on to the next story. Who knows? Oh, exciting. Now, you mentioned Andy Robb in the cells at Bow Street there. So uh, every month we have a guest author who we uh, lock up in the uh, in the cells. But yes, he does have a guest with him this week. Uh, so uh, listen to that a little later on. Now, Andy Robb is an author of uh, young adventure novels, award-winning uh, so if you have uh, young uh, to mid sort of teenage children at home, you might be very interested in his books. There'll be details about that a little later on. So I think, Peter, let's head into that very exciting news. Extra, extra, read all about it. First of all, the next short story from Bowman's casebook, The Chiswick Robbery, is out today. That's the 1st of May, the same day that this podcast is released. Hurrah. Yes, it's about time. Uh, If you're a subscriber and that's the first you've heard about it, well, check your emails because there will be an email uh, in your inbox with a link uh, for you to download the latest short story. It's the sixth short story from Bowman's Casebook, but this time, of course, following events at the end of the last novel, which I shudder to talk about for fear of spoilers. Have to be careful. This one is following uh, Inspector Hicks on an investigation. How do you get it if you're sitting at home listening to this? Well, it's quite easy. You subscribe to my email list. So just head on over to bowmanoftheyard.co.uk and subscribe there. So you can either read the latest short story straight after this podcast, uh, which would be a, ra- a rather good way to spend your time if you have nothing else planned, uh, or perhaps you've done so already, in which case, let me know what you think. 
Now the next piece of news... Now this is very exciting, isn't it? It's even more exciting than the first piece of news, which means that the third piece of news is going to be a real come down. <laughs> the second piece of news is this, the novels from the Bowman of the Yard series, that's The Head in the Ice, The Devil in the Dock, and The Body in the Trees have all been re-released by Sharp Books, who have, I'm delighted to say, picked them up for publication. Uh, which is very good news because it means that uh, hopefully even more people will be able to get acquainted with Inspector Bowman and his colleagues. So what's changed, Peter? Well, the covers. Yes, very nice they are too. Uh, exciting, lots of comment over on social media, Twitter and on my Facebook page. People enjoying them very much. Uh, the price, you might have noticed. Yes. Has it gone down? It has indeed. So each novel is now available for two ninety nine, Or, of course, if you're on Kindle Unlimited, you can download them and read them for free. Uh, and yes... I did also take the opportunity uh, to revisit the manuscripts, tighten up the odd sentence, correct the odd little typo, uh, and even the odd factual historical error. Oh. Only one or two I can think of in the three books. Uh, but the books are 99% the same. So if you have them already, no fear. You don't have to buy them again. Although, of course, you're welcome to. Uh, the short stories will continue as ever to be free to subscribers. Uh, although they will also be repackaged and repurposed for a release over the summer, I'm delighted to say. And finally, Peter, you'll be very happy to hear this. The podcast will continue. Oh, uh, uh, that's such good news. So you'll have something to do. Absolutely. Um, now, finally, do you follow and read blogs, Peter? Uh, I do, from time to time, yes. Particularly yours. That's very kind of you to say so. I mean, there's a lot of them about at the moment. Plenty of people have lots of time on their hands to put pen to digital paper, as it were. So, yes, uh, I'm just letting you know that I have a blog on my website, bowmanoftheyard.co.uk, uh, which you'd be welcome to visit. On there, I post uh, items about the, um, the process of writing, about visiting locations from the books and uh, interesting tidbits about Victorian London. Uh, you can also, on the website, uh, hear every episode of this podcast so far. That's exhibits A, B, C and D. Uh, and of course, all the episodes from the Bite Size Bowman series. That's my narrated and um, serialised episodic adventures from Bowman's casebook. Does that make sense? More or less. It makes a kind of sense. <laughs> <laughs> Letters to the yard. So, yes, let's delve into uh, this month's post bag. Uh, now, people have been getting in touch with us. How have they been getting in touch with us, Peter? What's our email address? Well, our email address is podcast at bowmanoftheyard.co.uk. Yeah, and how else can they get in touch? Well, they can also post on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash bowmanoftheyard. Perfect. And uh, who have you got there, first of all? Well, I've got a letter from the lovely Duncan Wilson, our contributor from the last uh, podcast. Yes. Uh, he says, Hi, Richard and Peter. First of all, congratulations to Richard. So excited that the Bowman series is being published by Sharp Books. The new covers look great, and I'm excited to see what the future brings. Mm. Not only have I been rereading The Devil in the Dock, but have also been looking into the history of Colney Hatch, Looks like another great case where an area's name has changed to avoid association with its previous connotations. Right. Best wishes to you both and to all the other Bowman fans out there. Duncan. Oh, that's you and me then, Peter. All the other Bowman fans. Yep, me and you. 
and Duncan. <laughs> uh, yeah, Coldy Hatch. It is an interesting area, isn't it? That's uh, around what is now known as Fry and Barnet in North London. Uh, that's the lunatic asylum where um, there's uh, no spoilers here because it says on the back of the first book where uh, Inspector Bowman finds himself at the beginning of the first book uh, and may well feature quite heavily uh, later on in the series. I love the way that Duncan does a little bit of research. He'll read the books, then he goes back and he likes to look at the maps and the places and the history. So uh, always good to hear from him. Yeah, that's right. Well, I've been very uh, keen to keep that up with, with the Chiswick robbery. I've been uh, treading the streets of Victorian Chiswick over the last couple of weeks, uh, writing that one. That's been uh, rather fun. I've got one here from Paul Wright. He says, hi, Richard. Uh, where do you get your inspiration for the characters? And are they based on anyone you know? Also, how do you choose their names? Uh, thanks for that, Paul. Uh, how do I get inspiration for characters? Well, I... Uh, firstly, of course, they have to serve a function within the plot and in the narrative. Um, for example, during the Chiswick robbery, as I was writing that, I uh, started writing a, a scene, let's say, set in the scullery of a big house with a maid and a cook. And I suddenly realised that it was serving no purpose whatsoever. <laughs> so I scrubbed a morning's work and those characters will never appear. I suppose they might crop up somewhere else in another story. But so firstly, they have to serve the, the plot. Um, I, the more outlandish, the better, I always think. Um, I think every character, no matter how small, has to have some sort of internal life to them, don't they? As if they exist beyond the book and we're just dipping in in that one moment to get their thoughts or whatever it might be. Um, are they based on anyone? Actors. Uh, so Inspector Hicks, in my mind, is Brian Blessed. Nice, yeah. Uh, Inspector Bowman is an actor called Kieran Hines, who you might oh, have yes. heard of. Yes, I can see him playing it. Again, in my imagination. Um, but again, I think people, as they read, will have their own their own images. And also, how do I choose their names? Well, there are lots of very good Victorian name generators on the internet. Uh, or if I hear an interesting surname or first name, I make a note of it, because uh, I do like uh, a flamboyant name. So what's it like when you when you scrub a little bit of work, you get rid of it, and you, do, you, do you feel that loss? Or No, no. very often it's a relief, and it actually helps you to move forward. So this particular chapter I was writing uh, seemed to be just going around in circles, and I realised it was bringing nothing. It was move wasn't moving the story forward in any way. It wasn't revealing anything about the characters. And actually I realised if, if I just got rid of it, uh, the way forward was, was much clearer. Uh, so actually doing that, although it can be quite a harsh thing to do to delete a thousand or two thousand words, actually is like clearing a roadblock and it's, it's quite a relief in a way. So I suppose it stops you being precious about anything and you can, you can, you can get rid of anything, you, you know, uh, if it's not working. Yeah, absolutely. Never be precious about anything. You've always got to serve the story and the characters, I think. Right, well, next we've got a letter from uh, Sean Uri, I think that's pronounced, hopefully. He says, Hi both, so I've just finished reading The Devil in the Dock, and I loved it, especially the three chapters with Doctor Who titles. Ah. Hope I got them right. Chapter 2, The Parting of the Ways. Uh, chapter 9, Inferno. And Chapter 23, The Web of Fear. Really looking forward to reading The Body in the Trees and hopefully more Doctor Who references. Best regards, Sean. Yeah, that's just a little bit of fun that I have with myself. Yeah. See if anyone picks up on it. Yes, well, Sean, there are a couple in um, in the body in the trees to look out for. So do let me know when you get round to reading that one if you've uh, if you've spotted them. I think I sent them to you, Peter, didn't I? Uh, I think you did. Yeah. I've got one here from Jim Cleland who says, with the uh, Victorian interest in seances and spiritualism, will Bowman ever encounter a crime related to a fake medium? 
I like that. Ah. Uh, that's absolutely possible. In the Head in the Ice, of course, there is a whole sequence that's set uh, at the Empire Rooms in Covent Garden at a spiritualist meeting. Uh, with, I think, Madame Rose, the clairvoyant, and her uh, assistant, uh, Kai. Um, that's the closest I've got. I mean, it, it is sort of intimated that she's a, a charlatan, which is, would always be my own personal take on it. But, of course, we do know, don't we, that uh, the likes of Conan Doyle yeah. uh, and many Victorians were absolutely fascinated by the afterlife and spiritualism. So it's absolutely a topic I could uh, touch on for a future story, definitely. Now, we've got uh, three letters here for, on a sort of a similar theme. So uh, the first is from Paul Straps. He says, looking for lockdown positives, I'm hoping Richard James has lots more time to finish the next book. Uh, similarly, we've got from Alex Pass, we've got, how goes the lockdown? Are you finding it creates more time for writing or even to explore some new potential Bowman-related projects? Or maybe rediscover old projects that got sidelined? And also from Rob Doyle, hi, Richard. Hope you're safe and well. Looking forward to the next short story. With the lockdown, you must be well ahead on the next novel. All the best, Rob. Everyone's employing you there, aren't they? Thinking you're hard at it. If only it were that easy. Yeah, that, uh, really interesting. I mean, I do get that a lot. People say, well, it must be perfect for you having all this time on your hands. But I don't know about you, Peter, but it's a weird time, isn't it? And um, sometimes I actually find it quite difficult to sit down and concentrate on one thing. Um, sometimes I just sit and, and, and find myself just thinking or staring. Well, we, we get overloaded with information and then there are times when you just kind of want to almost meditate or, or drift and uh, you, you don't realise that maybe hours have gone by or yeah, yeah. You know, that motivation sort of seeps away. So it's, it's really hard to keep that routine and that discipline. I saw a tweet the other day from someone saying, if you come out of this uh, lockdown without having learnt a new language, then you're completely unmotivated. And I thought, well, I don't know. It's not a competition. No, it's not helpful, is it? I think if you manage to get through and, you know, your mental health is reasonably well intact and uh, everything, then then you've done well, um, you know. So I suppose the short answer is I have been obviously trying to make use of the time. As an actor, of course, I'm used to rattling around the home with very little to do. <laughs> so in a way, it's no change for me. Um, but as far as the next novel's concerned, well, now I've finished uh, the Chiswick robbery, um, Yes, the next thing on my horizon is the fourth uh, Bowman of the Yard novel, uh, which I will sit down to start, I suppose, in the next week or so, hoping to release it later in the year, uh, September, October time. And so that'll be a Sharp Books exclusive then? Yes, it will. Isn't that exciting? Yeah. But uh, do let us know, how are you coping with this lockdown? What have you been up to? How are you passing the time? Drop us a line, podcast at bowmanoftheyard.co.uk, as did Carl Scott, who says, and I like this, "'Tis not an indecent time of the day to listen to the pod and learn about bicycle face." Remember this from the last podcast? <laughs> yes. Uh, he says, "'Dare I tell my good wife about that as she cycles to and from work and shows the signs when she gets home.'" <laughs> this, uh, this follows on from Anthony's email last month where he uh, talked about this uh, Victorian affliction, bicycle face. Uh, if you want to know more, you'll have to listen back to uh, Exhibit D. But Anthony's been in touch again. Hi, Richard. Thanks for including my bicycle face article in the last podcast. It really brightened my week. Uh, I came across two medical curiosities, he said, which may have been around during Inspector Bowman's time. One, safety coffins, which I'm sure you could make an advertisement about. And two... The weight of the human soul. Wow. 
Oh yeah, we're getting really existential here. Definitely. So he says, firstly, in 1905, the English reformer William Tebb collected accounts of premature burial. He found 219 cases of near live burial and 149 actual live burials, 10 cases of live dissection and two cases of awakening while being embalmed. It's pretty grim, isn't it? Um, Edgar Allan Poe's novel, The Premature Burial, published in 1844, resulted in even greater public fear, especially since the book contained accounts of supposedly genuine cases of premature burial. He goes on to say, during the 18th and 19th centuries, a large number of safety coffins were patented. Over 30 different designs were patented in Germany in the second half of the 19th century. And these were coffins fitted with a mechanism to allow the occupant to signal that he or she had been buried alive, such as a rope or a bell. Oh, wow. That's frightening. It's dark stuff, isn't it? Reminds me of a, a book I had as a, as a child, a sort of an encyclopedia of horror stories. Uh, and there was a, a sort of a picture painting illustration of uh, the coffin that you're talking about with and it sort of had a um, some kind of metal ball that rested on the the alleged deceased's chest and if there was any movement uh, a flag would pop up um, above ground wow uh, I don't know if that was ever actually uh, invented or made or if it's just a design uh, but yeah frightening stuff it's nightmare stuff isn't it uh, he then goes on to talk about the weight of a human soul USA physician Dr. Duncan McDougall in 1907 hypothesised that souls have physical weight and attempted to measure the mass lost by a human when the soul departed the body. McDougall attempted to measure the mass change of six patients at the moment of death. One of the six subjects lost three-fourths of an ounce, or 21.3 grams. His study was published in the New York Times, um, a, a reputable medical journal, uh, American Medicine, as well as a dodgy one, the Journal of the American Society for Psychical Research. McDougall found no weight difference when he repeated the experiment in 15 dogs concluding that only human beings have souls. Thanks again for lightening our days and keeping us entertained. That's from Anthony. Well, thanks for uh, darkening our days, Anthony. That's pretty grim, isn't it? Yeah. Wonderful stuff, though. Well, it's interesting, this sort of Victorian fascination with the macabre and with the afterlife. I suppose, I mean, I was thinking, this is really the era where we first get ghost stories, really, as we know them now, isn't it? I mean, I know ghosts had appeared in literature beforehand, famously in Shakespeare and so on, but they were sort of always vengeful and came back with a reason. But the Victorian era kind of gave us ghosts that were just evil. If you think of M.R. James and some Dickens stories, evil for the sake of being evil. Yeah, all very theatrical, really, isn't it? Yeah, that's interesting. And they had a real fascination, Conan Doyle, as I said, I think Rudyard Kipling as well, uh, dallied with uh, spiritualism in his later years following the death of his son in the First World War. I think we all want to believe that there's something else, don't we? That there's something there, there's uh, some sort of uh, special answer. Yeah, and these were, this was a time of, of huge change, I think, as well, and particularly moving into the First World War, obviously devastating change, and I think people were just groping for any sort of comfort that, that they could find, perhaps. Interesting yeah. stuff. Thanks for that, Anthony. And uh, a last one there from you, Peter. Yes, we got a letter from Roger Smith. Uh, the workhouse poisoning was a great read. I got the how as soon as the guy died, but the who and the why, not a clue till the very end. Lovely. <laughs> Oh, oh, thanks, Roger. Thank you. He sent me, in fact, a review for each of the short stories he's been reading. So thank you very much for that, Roger. Very much appreciated. Um, so we have listeners now, Peter, in the UK, in the US, Australia, Canada, France, Poland, New Zealand, Denmark, Ireland, Spain, Germany, Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. But, I mean, it's slightly disappointing. We've been a bit let down in South America where we only have listeners in Argentina. <sighs> what are we going to do about sort of widening the net? Well, listeners at home, if you know anyone in South America, 
in uh, Brazil or Colombia or Peru, Chile, where else? Uruguay, Paraguay. Send them a link to the podcast. In fact, you can do that right now. You can subscribe to us on whichever platform you're listening to us on uh, and leave us a nice rating and a review if you wish and then share us with your friends so they can get to hear us too. And that would be lovely. Bravo. Let's have a word from our sponsors. Don't you wish you could smoke all the time? Why not? Here is a pipe you can smoke every minute in the day without the least injury. Hundreds in use in the US. The only pipe of the kind in the world. Absolutely no injury, no bad breath, no nervousness. A cool, delightful smoke. Send for Circular and Investigate. Will only cost you a postal card. Address to Box 61F, Oak Park, Illinois. Eat, 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 and always stay thin. No diet, no baths, no exercise. Fat, the enemy that's shortening your life, banished. How? With sanitized tapeworms, a jar packed. Friends for a fair form, easy to swallow. You have a beautiful face, but your nose? In this day and age, attention to your appearance is absolutely necessary if you expect to make the most out of life. Not only should you wish to appear as attractive as possible for your own satisfaction, which is alone well worth your efforts, but you'll find the world in general judging you greatly. The new Nose Shaper corrects ill-shaped noses without operation, quickly, safely and permanently. Write today for a free booklet. Now, do let us know if you've uh, found any uh, hilarious, intentionally or otherwise, uh, adverts from the Victorian or Edwardian era. Drop them to me at podcast at bowmanoftheyard.co.uk and I'll voice them up for next time. I think it's time we headed into the cells at Bow Street, where this month we've incarcerated, against his will, author Andy Robb. But luckily, he has company. You're nicked. Yes, yes, I can hear you, Rat, I can hear you. Oh, I'd have thought that an author would end up in a hole like this. How long have I been here? Is it, is it that long? What am I in here for? To, to be honest, I can't remember. But at least I've got you, old chum. Own talking rat to keep me sane. I tell you what, it's been a while. Let's get to know each other a bit better. Tell me a bit about yourself. Really? Cheese? Do you know that's my favourite band too? Me? Well, well, my name's Andy Robb and I write books. Uh, Well, they're for young adults between the ages of 11 and 14. At least that's the first two. Well, the first one's called Geekhood, Close Encounter to Girl Kind, and the second one's called Geekhood, Mission Improbable. The first one is the one that got shortlisted for the Waterstone Children's Book Prize. I don't know, I thought it was quite good. Um, I suppose they're about the difficulties of being a geek in the 21st century. The lead character, Archie, is into all those things that people think are geeky, like, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, Doctor Who, Star Trek, that sort of thing. And then a girl walks into the equation and he's got to decide whether to renounce his geekhood or to remain a geek to his teeth. Yeah, the second one follows on from the first and we get to explore the world of LARPing. 
Well, if you don't know what LARPing is, then I suggest you read the book. Yeah, after those two came the true and untold story of the outlaw town Barker. That's a sci-fi story, it's for older readers, so I wouldn't give it to your little rats. Once they reach about 15, you only live about two years. I'm sorry, I didn't know. I suppose you get a copy and keep it as some sort of heirloom. Your great, 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 great grandrats might like it. I mean, it is set in the future. Yeah, I've got my next book coming out in February 2021. It's called Smashed, and I'm really excited about it. It's taken about two years to write, and I can't wait to see it on the bookshelves. Well, you can get them through bookshops, you know, Waterstones, your independents, or Amazon. I mean, if you want a signed copy, I can do it through the website. TheAndyRobSite.co.uk Well, that's very kind of you. It's been nice to talk to you, too. (laughs) At least I know I'm not going mad. You're right, I think someone's coming. Go on, get out of sight. Well, thank you very much, Andy, and your pet rat. I'm glad to hear that you're uh, you're happy down there, socially distancing. That's very good of you. Uh, we'll let you know when things calm down a bit and you can come out. Uh, so Andy Robb is an author uh, of the Geekhood books, the first of which was shortlisted for the Waterstones Children's Book Award. He's had many jobs over the years as Andy, most notably as an actor working on stage and screen, but now spends his time writing on his houseboat on the Thames, occasionally stopping to feed the ducks. Doesn't that sound idyllic? Oh. Idyllic, absolutely. Time, please, gentlemen. Let's have all your glasses. There we are. Our time is up. Yeah, our time is up for this month. Thank you so much again for joining us. Can I just say before you go... Do remember to subscribe to us on whichever platform you're listening to us on. Leave us a review or a rating and share us with your friends. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can uh, pop a link in your Twitter feed or why not like my Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Bowman of the Yard. Uh, don't forget, stay tuned after this for the fifth part in the short story, The Smithfield Murder. And we'll see you next time. Yes, yeah, stay safe and well, everyone. The Smithfield Murder, a short story from Bowman's Casebook by Richard James. Part 5. Inspector Bowman continues his investigations into a death at Smithfield Market, examining Boothby's ledger for any information that could be useful. The bishop's finger stood not a stone's throw from the market. Crossing the road at West Smithfield, Archie Walton could barely contain his excitement. It was an airy, welcoming establishment, with an ornate bar and a fine selection of ales. As the two men sat at a table by the window with their charge, an order was made for two jars of ale and a plate of jellied eels. Take us through your day, Archie. Bowman was leaning forward, one hand on Boothby's ledger as the boy ate. I open the stall at the stroke of two, never early, never late. The carts are there by then, and I show the men where the stock should go. They'd leave it on the block more often as not, and Hibbert would hang it when he arrived. What time would that be? Always on the half hour. Why so? Graves took a sip from his jar, leaving a moustache of foam on his upper lip. He reckoned, having been so long at his trade, he'd earned an extra half hour in bed. Can I ask you a question now, Inspector? 
Bowman shared a look with his companion. The boy had spirit. Anything. Bowman spread his hands wide in supplication. What did the other inspector mean by talking of Lambeth Bridge? Graves spluttered on his beer. Bowman suddenly felt very hot. Pulling at his collar with his fingers, he swallowed hard. Of course, Archie had been mere feet away during his altercation with Hicks at the market. He chose to ignore the question. Graves, would you call the barmaid over? Let's see if she remembers anything of her customers last night. Grateful for the diversion, Graves looked around. He fixed on a comely woman cleaning glasses at the bar. Her hair was heaped up on her head, a pinafore tied tight around her waist, serving only to accentuate her generous shape. He downed the last of his beer and wiped his mouth salaciously on the back of his hand. He staggered to the bar to engage the lady in conversation. Ignoring Archie's look of confusion, Bowman went on. The market opens at seven o'clock. What would you do for those five hours? Hibbert would cut and saw the meat, Alfie slurped on his eels, spooning the liquor into his eager mouth as he talked. I'd dress it for the counter, mop the floor and scrub the block, sometimes run errands. Until noon, when you'd be let go. And I'd be in me bed by ten minutes past. That'd be me done in for the day. Where do you live, Archie? Bowman leaned back from the table. Lime Burner Lane. Me and me sister found a room. Bowman imagined what a life the boy must lead. By rights he should have been in the workhouse. There at least he would have been schooled. And yet he was doing well enough. He'd found a roof for his head at night and even an apprenticeship to a trade. Bowman had a feeling that, his present circumstances resolved, Archie would do well. He resisted the urge to ruffle the lad's hair. This is Lily. Bowman turned to see Graves had brought the barmaid over. She twisted her cloth in her hands nervously. It's all right, Lily, Graves soothed. Just tell the inspector what you told me. They was in here right enough. Seven of them there was, sat at that long table there. She pointed at the long trestle nearest the fire, drinking and swearing like they was happy with themselves. Came in about four and left at the bell. Was that unusual? Bowman looked up at the girl from where he sat. Not so much, though maybe during the week. Their normal nights are Friday, on account of them not opening at the weekend. Bowman allowed himself a wry smile. O'Sheehy's jibe at Scotland Yard hours suddenly rang rather hollow. And there's normally eight of them too. They take up the whole table. Would you know them if you saw them? Of course. Spent all my time trying to keep their hands off me, didn't I? And are you certain there were seven of them? Bowman's voice had taken on a tone Graves recognised. He was onto something. He knew. I'm not so daft as I can't count. If I say there were seven of them, then seven there was. Lily turned with a harumph and strutted back to the bar and her business, clearly trying her best to look as insulted as possible. Not so insulted, though, noticed Bowman, that she didn't find the time to give Sergeant Graves another look as she passed. The sergeant took his seat at the table, dismissing Bowman's look with a wave of his hand. The inspector had Boothby's ledger open at the table now, leafing through its pages with a look of concentration on his face. The men we spoke to all said Boothby had been here with them last night, he muttered, almost to himself. Who's to say he wasn't? Graves was trying to follow Bowman's train of thought. Lily, for one. Smoothing the pages open with a hand, Bowman directed Graves' attention to a table of numbers and names, all written in an angular, spidery hand. Here's a list of stalls, from one to a hundred and eight, he explained, together with an inventory of the names attached to them. Sergeant Graves, 
Which of the men did you interview in the course of your duties earlier? Graves had drawn a notebook from his pocket. One man at number 35, one at 36 and two at 37. Bowman rattled off their names from the ledger. Prentice, Adams, Wallace and Samuelson. They all said they were here last night, Graves confirmed, leaning over the ledger to read further. Johns and Carter at 38 had both gone home to their wives. Hudson at 39 met his sweetheart at Covent Garden. Bowman nodded. I spoke to O'Shee and his lad at 33, and Griffiths at 32. All three said they were here last night to get fettled after a day's graft. Then there's our seven, Graves interjected. Bowman turned to his companion, his eyes alive with the thrill of the moment. Then where was Boothby when Hibbert died? Bowman was about to slam the ledger shut, but something in its pages had evidently caught Graves' attention. Wait, sir, here. He was pointing to the rows next to each numbered stall. Tracing up with his finger, he could see each entry in the row denoted the rent each trader had paid to Boothby on each successive week. What of it, Graves? It's as you would expect. A list of the rents paid for the market stalls. I'm not looking at what's been written, sir. I'm looking at how it's been written. Bowman angled the ledger to the window, the better to see what was written there. In the morning light, it was clear what Graves had meant. Each entry had been written in the same ink until November the 23rd. A different ink had been employed from then on. That was nothing unusual in itself, thought Bowman, but placing the book in the light had brought Graves' point into sharp relief. The new ink had started earlier along Hibbert's row, from September of the last year. What do you think that means, sir? Graves' eyes were wide in thought. One of two things, Graves. Either Boothby used a different ink for Hibbert and only Hibbert for two months, or he went back later and filled in blank entries so as not to appear suspicious. Graves was confused. Why would there be blank spaces? Surely Hibbert paid his rent every week. I can't imagine Boothby giving him anything but short shrift if he didn't. Bowman was suddenly all action. Come on, Graves, he barked, snatching his hat from the table. We need to get that market open. But you gave the order that the gates should be shut. I told Boothby myself. Graves couldn't help but be incredulous. Bowman turned. They're traders, Graves. So let them trade. The inspector left the table with a flurry, leaving Sergeant Graves to gulp down the last of his pint and Archie Walton to finish his eels.